Thank you so much. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good day, good night, good noon, good dawn, good dusk, good desk. Welcome to The Long Shot. I am your host. My name is Sean Conroy. With me today on The Long Shot is no one. Amber had a busy week this week. I believe she flew to perhaps Sacramento in Northern California via Cleveland and Portland, Maine, and a quick stop in Nashville just to get up to Sacramento, a very direct route. No, I I think she had a wedding or something. I can't even remember, but she had a lot going on. So she has declined to participate this week and asked me to hold down the proverbial fort, which I will attempt to do as rapidly as possible. I had, uh, well, let me start by saying this. I always want our guests to understand exactly what the format of the show is. So we always start the show with something that I like to call checking in. So I will go first and tell you guys that I had a decent week. I had not zero, not one, not three, but two legitimate performances this week. Uh, I did an open mic earlier in the week, and that was quite a show, quite a show. Here's the thing about stand-up, about open mics, about, well, I guess it's about stand-up, but in particular open mics, is you could be doing stand-up for over 20 years and still have an experience unlike anything that you've ever experienced on any given night. And that's what happened to me this week. I had an experience that was not like anything I had ever been through before. Been through, as if it's so horrible. Uh, And it was. It was horrible. Um, Let me see if I can describe it to you guys. I went to this show. I was going to go up I went up third on the show. Uh, Small crowd, you know, small group of comics waiting to go on. I would say less than 20 people in the room. And first of all, it's hilarious. It's a hilarious open mic. It's run by a guy I really like who is an older guy like myself. And so a lot of the other comics that show up on a regular basis are older as well. And by older, I mean 50s, 60s, that area, um, or that that age range. Uh, I guess that's not an area, sort of indicates a geographical location, but I'm talking more in terms. So the stage, there is a stage and a microphone. The stage is fairly high, and there are only two steps. So these 50 and 60-year-olds have to negotiate these two very steep steps up to the stage and two very steep steps down from the stage. Staircase is also very narrow, 
So each time someone is brought up to the stage, they have to wait for the host to come down before they go up. And I would throw the word clamber in there. They clamber up. And I'm not just saying that because it rhymes with my co-host who's not here is name. Uh, people very, very awkwardly clamber up the stairs and very gingerly navigate their way down the stairs. I mean, you've all seen older people having trouble on stairs and it seems like everybody. Anyway, it's very funny to me to watch that. And of course, what that does is it makes sure that there are long periods of silence. Like, you know, up next, uh... Danny Mancuso and everybody applauds, applauds, applauds. And Danny gets to the stairs and the host makes his way down the stairs. And then Danny clambers up onto the stage and all in silence, the creaking of floorboards. So it's that it's that almost Simpsons esque weirdness of this is a live show, but there's nothing happening right now. It's just very quiet. So that's always an energy suck. But this particular instance, the person who went up before me, and this happens uh, uh, at open mics sometimes, but I'd never seen it happen like this before. At an open mic, you know, it's right in the name. It's an open mic. People can talk about whatever they want to talk about. You're allowed to discuss... You suspect that anybody there is a comedian who is trying to tell jokes, but many times uh, there are people who just have stuff on their mind or they have a skewed perspective of what a joke is or what's funny. But whatever the case, people tend sometimes to just go up and dump their psyche from the stage. It is a peculiar public form of it's really what people would be saying to a therapist if they had decent health insurance. Um, and maybe they do, and they just feel more comfortable talking to a crowd. But whatever the case, it can be very awkward and very uncomfortable. Um, but I had never seen anything like this. And I don't want to get into the specifics of what this person was talking about. But I will tell you, it was deeply sad. Just human tragedy at its rawest and most recent and you know in a way that was not going to get better um let me see if i can again i don't want to get into the specifics but let's say let's say let me use it let me use an example that uh uh is is totally fabricated from uh, fiction uh, Suppose that the person who went on stage before me was the wife of a sea captain. Okay, you guys know how much I love uh, ship novels. So let's say this this person, this comic, this comic, stand-up comic before me was the wife of a sea captain. And she had been uh, left behind. Her husband had been away at sea for two years. And... She would go and walk on what they call the widow's walk, which is those walkways up at the top of the house on the roof to see if he was coming back and whatever, you know, on the lookout for him. 
and word came in that his ship what 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 should the name of his ship be the 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 the, the indubitable his ship the indubitable was was coming was it was spotted you know 50 miles offshore so it was heading in the wind was in the right direction a small skiff made its way in and brought word that the indubitable was headed in and she was going to see her husband for the first time in 2 years so she went up and she was standing on the widow's walk and as she watched the 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 sails of the indubitable slowly uh, crested over the curve of the earth far out to sea and she could see the ship getting closer and closer and uh, and then as it got within like three miles of land uh, of, of the harbor uh, nearby uh, it struck a rock and sank and all hands were lost including her husband uh, Captain uh, Dunes. Captain Dunes was lost at sea. And she had to stand there and watch, knowing that her husband had come so close to coming home. She'd missed him all this time and she'd been, you know, both emotionally uh, uh, needed him and also physically felt uh, very lonely and, and craved the attention that he would give her brain and her body. And he, and he, so he, dra- you know, he, well, we don't know exactly what happened. He may have been hit in the head by a falling spar or he may have drowned or there may, there's a rumor that there may have been a mutiny on board the ship right at that moment, which is why they hit the rock there. Cause it's a chart. It's charted. I mean, there's, they know it's there. So why would they, but anyway, Imagine that widow getting up on stage four days later and saying, four days ago, I watched my husband die and I'm not over it. And I don't know what I'm going to do going forward. And that's seven minutes of that. And then she said, thank you. She gingerly uh, uh, navigated her way down from the stage the host clambered back up and went, okay, next up, Sean Conroy. And I had to go up and, and, and follow that. And we were just, everybody was sitting there. Well, I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. I was so deeply saddened by what she had been talking about. Uh, and I felt like everybody was in that. You know, it was just tragic. Because, like I said, her husband had been at sea for two years. Uh, they had done, you know, they had... They had done well. They had uh, caught some whales in the South Pacific. They had gotten some whale oil. They had sent that back, some amber grease and uh, some shawls and petticoats that they had traded for in various... Whatever the case. Anyway, it was just a pall. It cast a pall over the room. And then I... And I had never... I mean, I'd been up after people who, who had weird things to say or bizarre or you know i hate this i don't like that well that was that was uh when i went up after eddie um but anyway it was it just made it a bizarre and sad really sad experience um to go up and try to go hey you guys uh we think about critical race theory, anybody? Because that's the kind of material I like to do. So that was one. That was one performance I had this past week. I had another performance uh, uh, with 
an improv group I work with called The Swarm that I've been performing with for 24 and a half years, if you can believe that. We did a live show, uh, a show. We had done a couple of sets at other people's shows um, where literally we were one of several improv groups performing and the whole audience was just the other improv groups watching. So, so yes, we had done those shows, but I feel like that's not a real, that's not, you know, it's like a scrimmage, basically. Like you're playing with other, other teams, but nobody's keeping score. So this was a real live show uh, that I had set up with the great Jamie Flom at Dynasty Typewriter. And uh, it was uh, it was a delight. It was a delight. The venue was, you know, he's really got that place ship shape. It's uh, I don't know what the right word is. And and no, no, I would say it's uh, comfortable and nice and well appointed and welcoming and friendly and the staff treats you well when you go in um i also got a free uh, a little bag of peanut m&ms when i was leaving so that was nice i i offered to pay jamie for him and he he said no no thank you so you know that was kind of a nice bonus but it, it really was uh, a lot of fun and we had a decent a decent crowd you know not an overwhelming number of people but enough to feel like a real show um, we had, you know, Jamie, the theater there, they do a live stream thing where they broadcast the show out to whoever wants to watch it from wherever they are in the world. You know, you could be on a ship in the South Pacific as long as you have an internet connection. Um, even if you've been away for a couple of years, you could still... Uh, watch the show from from there but in order to make that and and we had some people some some listeners even uh, uh, register to do that but unfortunately there is a minimum number of people that makes it worthwhile and we did not achieve that minimum um so just bear that in mind the next time you see that kind of thing out there that because i had people i don't know if anybody from any any listeners here emailed me but i had people because we canceled we canceled the live stream on friday the show was on saturday we canceled the live stream on friday and i had people email me on saturday and say hey i i'm trying to get tickets to the live stream but i don't see the link and it was too late by then we would have needed those people to sign up sooner than that and that might have that might have worked um and we might have we might have reached the minimum number of people we needed i think the minimum the number of people we needed was three and we got two so next time buy a ticket and you could be the person that puts us over the top for which we would be extremely grateful but Anyway, it was a super fun show. Uh, we 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 had fun. I don't know, but it, there's no way to describe. You know, the the, the the thing of like what what happened during the show. And whenever you try to describe what happened during an improv show, you sound like a like a crazy person. So I won't even do that. But it was 
it was a lot of fun. And then when we came out, or I should say, while I was backstage, or I guess I was on stage for the last part of the show, because it was ourselves, and then we had another group that was a guest of ours. So they did a set, then we did a set, then all of us did a set together. And while I was on stage, but towards the back of the stage in the last part of the show, when all of us were on stage together, I heard a weirdly rhythmic banging coming, I thought, from backstage. I was like, is somebody playing a drum back there? What is going on? And it was very apparent to me, perhaps not as apparent to the audience, I don't know, but I could not figure out what it was or where it was coming from. I actually walked backstage to see if there was somebody back there. There was nobody there and I could hear still sound, you know, I could hear the sound. It still sounded fairly close, but nowhere evidently nearby. And, you know, I thought maybe cause there's like some kind of weird reception hall next door to Jamie's theater. So maybe it was something going on in the reception hall. I don't know. But it turned out what it was, was there was some kind of festival in the park down the street from the theater and they were setting off fireworks. So the sound that I thought was some kind of rhythmic drumming was actually the booming of fireworks in the distance. Um, so that was that was delightful to to be able to have the show suffused with the sound of nearby fireworks. Um, but somebody did take a a video of our of. Jamie's uh, of the marquee with the swarm on it and then the fireworks going off in the distance and it, it was just a funny funny thing to go oh yeah the swarm is here that's why the fireworks are going off as if anybody would believe that uh okay like I said I'm trying to move this along because Amber's not here I do want to catch everybody up on what happened this week on our favorite tv show La Brea, because there's a lot going on, but we don't quite know what most of it is. I mean, that seems to be where they're at right now in the show is let's present a lot of stuff in a way that feels mysterious. Like, here's a lot of questions, but we don't know what the answers are yet. Or at least you don't because you're watching the show. We know what they are because we're the writers in the writer's room. But you don't know what they are. Um, so just a couple of a couple of highlights, things I really enjoyed this week. One is there's a guy who's been on the show since season one, and he's not even a definitely not an important character. Um, you know, you might even call him like an extra, although he's had he's had lines a couple times, uh, but. This week, I just started really thinking about him, uh, and he's got glasses and curly hair, and first of all, the the first eight minutes of the episode, so there's always there's always the, the thing at the beginning of every episode of every show where it's like, this is what happened last week on the show, so they go through that, there's a recap, but then the first eight minutes of this show are another... Uh, conversation among all the characters about everything that's been going on. Everything, you know, so it's like you get you get the actual highlights of everything that's happened in a reel from the show itself. 
then you have the characters going, well, if you remember, Scott took off with the other evil mad scientists. They're at a building somewhere nearby. We don't know where they are. And, you know, these people did this thing. And, you know, so they're so they're they're giving us all this show is all about keeping the viewers on board the whole time. And at one point, uh, uh, as this recap is all going on, because Gavin is now involved in the recap. Gavin, who jumped into a sinkhole in Seattle in 2022 and ended up in L.A. in 10,000 B.C. He doesn't quite understand how he got there. Gavin, who used to be Isaiah, and now he's whatever. Uh, the guy who's been having visions and that's what turned him into an alcoholic and got his wife to screw his best friend and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's there. He's the one that they're telling everything to. And at one point, this curly haired guy who's just an extra, <laughs> who's just an extra goes something like this is crazy or some some line like that. And I just wrote down. In my notes, I was like, this guy is, he was at the corner of La Brea and wherever that museum is that fell with them when the sinkhole opened up. So he was like, he was definitely driving to work somewhere. So my backstory for that guy is that he is a sitcom writer. Uh, I think he works on Young Sheldon. (laughs) I wrote down that his name is Murray. Which was incorrect because later in the show, we find out that his name is actually Judah. So I feel like by writing down that his name is Murray, I was being a little weirdly judgmental. But Judah is about the closest you could get to Murray as a character name and not have it be Murray. So anyway, Judah, we find out later, doesn't really know how to work a rake. He's not good with a rake. Apparently they're, we don't see this, but they're planting fields of, of corn or something. Um, so again, we have a bunch of stories going on. One is the, the, uh, Levi and the wife story. And we have a couple of flashbacks there. We find out that Levi just brought over some pliers when she was fixing the sink And, you know, one thing led to another and they ended up sleeping together because Gavin, you know where Gavin was, you know where Gavin was. He came home drunk every night this week. So, you know where he is. I guess that means he's out at a bar. Um, And then Levi and and her are in bed together. Levi has his pants on in bed. I mean, I, you know, that seemed weird to me, but he. Apparently he 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 has sex with his pants on, which is an old-fashioned uh, birth control method. Um, but what that what happened was while she was sleeping with Levi, having an affair with Levi, that was when Izzy had her accident, and I think the implication is that's when Izzy lost her leg, and so therefore. It was the fault of this affair that Izzy, had the mom picked her up from school, Izzy would not have have had her, you know, her leg, uh, would not have lost her leg in an accident, you know. So that's the guilt that she, that the mom is carrying. 
uh, we find out that she wants to be with Levi. They're in a mine of some sort, mining for rocks that are very important. And this is what I'm talking about. We don't know why these rocks are important. They really want to know, like, why, what is about these rocks? Why are these rocks so significant? We don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery. But I'm sure when we find out why these exiles, they're called the exiles, not the Klingons, when we find out why the exiles are so into mining these rocks, I'm sure the payoff will justify how much time we've spent not knowing what these rocks are. It's going to turn out to be very important. I don't know if they're uranium ore of some kind or some kind of magnetic uh, uh, generation, you know, energy source for the for the time machine that's clearly in the in the building where the evil scientist and uh, Scott the stoner are. But anyway, these rocks are very important. They want to escape from these people, so they talk to Virgil, who fell in at La Brea, just where they did, but ended up very far away from them. Virgil is a chef. I think he is maybe a chef at La Poubelle up on Franklin. And uh, anyway, he ended up down there. Virgil gets into... uh, Virgil is trying to convince the other people he fell into the hole with to help out, to cause a distraction so that Levi and, and the mom can escape together. But one of the one of the one of the exiles hears them conspiring and starts to beat the shit out of Virgil, which means Levi has to jump in and Levi disappears. They think he's going to get killed, but he comes back. And when he comes back, the mom is very glad to see him because she has decided while he's gone that she I think I think she has decided that she loves him. She says almost I love you she doesn't say it but she comes very close to saying I love you but then gets cut off when they start kissing each other so that's what's going on with Levi and the mom they're 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 digging for rocks that they don't understand what they're for uh, but they're trying to escape meanwhile the two kids who are back in 1988 they're in Hollywood and this was a great example to me of how important it is on this show not for, 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 for the people in charge to know that the audience doesn't lose the thread. Because they're up by this sinkhole in Hollywood Park or whatever it's called, by the Hollywood sign. And the whole scene, they're talking about how they have to get into the sinkhole. That's how they'll get back to 10,000 B.C., They need to get away from 1988. They have to get back to 10,000 BC to their families, whatever. And that clearly was not enough in the scene because even before the scene starts, from a distance, there is a line said by one of the kids to the other one. uh, We've got to get into that sinkhole to go back to 10,000 BC. And that line is done in a, in a in a method called ADR where they went in and they recorded that line over a shot after the whole thing was shot because they felt like they needed to give the scene some context. Now the whole scene is just them saying the exact same thing, but I guess they felt like they didn't say it enough in that scene, so they went back in and ADR'd it. And then we see a weird dude listening to them talking about this. 
something's up with that guy. What are we going to find out? And then the next scene, we see them in Santa Monica. Now, I will point out that getting from uh, the Hollywood sign to Santa Monica, that's like a five-hour trip. And I have seen no sign of them having a car or anything. So I don't know how they got from the Hollywood sign to Santa Monica. That was that was a major sticking point for me because there's just no way to do it. Like it's not like mass transit is simple in Los Angeles. So it turns out the guy who's been eavesdropping on them is a geologist or geology professor or something. Uh, whatever he is, he is a foreigner playing an American clearly from his, from the way he speaks, uh, American English. It's like, Oh, that guy, at first I thought he was from, from that he was British, but then I was thinking about it and I think they shoot this in Australia. So he's probably Australian. Um, if anybody can check that for me, that would be great. But he says to them, that there's going to be another sinkhole. He figured that he figured that out with his he has a spectrometer and he says every time a sinkhole opens up their energy waves coincide with a time frame sorry no with with a time oh sorry Every time a sinkhole opens up, their energy waves coincide with a time factor that consistently predicts the next one. I mean, that sounds like it's written by someone who's never read a single science fiction book. Like that justification, their energy waves coincide with a time factor that consistently predicts the next one. Look... Bob, you're going to go off and write this script. So just come up with some bullshit that covers the way the geologist predicts. So anyway, he predicts that there's going to be a huge sinkhole in the ocean that will cause the biggest tidal wave in the history of the world and wipe out. I forget where I heard Malibu and I was like, oh, shit, we can't lose Malibu. Um, there's lots of other stuff going on. Veronica and Lily. Lily comes back from the present and goes back to the past, talks to Veronica. Here's another mystery. She keeps saying, I can't believe what happened to us, what we went through. So Veronica clearly did something she shouldn't have done to Lily. It's like the rock mystery where I'm sure when it's revealed, it will be uh, a big enough payoff to justify them talking about it so much without telling us what it is. Same thing with Gavin and Silas. They head off together. <laughs> Gavin, Gavin wants to take Silas, who is his grandfather, and who I, I guess I sort of realized for the first time in this episode that Silas is much younger than they're trying to play him. Like he's he's definitely wearing a weird wig, and I think the actor is not in his at least not in his seventies or eighties. I don't know if he's in his forties, but. He's way younger than he's supposed to be on the show. Um, but the other guys don't want to let Silas go. They're like, we got to give Silas back to this other village because they gave us food. Gavin says, I got to take him with me. And the other guys are like, you can't. And then Gavin goes, I got to. The other guys are like, you can't. Gavin goes, I got to. And the other guys are like, fine, just bring him back. Okay. So that worked out great that that argument ended in Gavin's favor. 
So him and Silas set off to look for the exiles. But unfortunately, Gavin steps in a trap and gets hung upside down. Now, I didn't totally understand this part. Was the grizzly bear the one who set the trap? Because the grizzly bear, it was a perfect trap for the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear could just come along after the person was in the trap and basically treat him like a heavy bag, right? Um, And we never saw anybody after that who was like, hey, you were in my trap and you cut it or whatever. But Gavin gets trapped. The grizzly bear is about to, about to, you know, beat him to death with his claws. He's about to go, uh, what was that Leonardo DiCaprio thing where he gets almost killed by the grizzly bear? He's about to do that on him. But Silas takes the little pocket knife and with one stab, one stab with that tiny little pocket knife, it was basically a letter opener. Then Gavin takes out the grizzly bear. Or sorry, Silas takes out the grizzly bear. And then there's this weird thing that happens where, again, Gavin is going, what happened to my parents? Why won't you tell me about my parents? What's going on with my parents? How, come my, how did my parents die? And it's a big mystery, like the rocks, like what happened with Veronica and Lily, like what's going on with the building that Scott's gone into. Uh, like it's like the country of origin of the geologist and the spectrometer, all of these mysteries, and Silas makes it be known to Gavin his parent his parents are not dead; they're still there somewhere. So that's fucked up. That Silas has been keeping this from Gavin all this time, and he won't tell him why he's been hiding it from him, or what he's been hiding, or what's really going on. So it is very. Very mysterious. Lots of mystery setup. Lots and lots of mystery setup. I really want to know what's up with those rocks. What happened with Veronica and Lily? What happened with Gavin's parents? How that bear was able to tie basically a hangman's noose and trap Gavin like that? Like, bears don't have opposable thumbs. How is he tying those knots? Uh, and how that little pocket knife was able to kill the bear. I mean, the bear has has blubber on it, like fat. And the blade of that knife was less than three inches long. And I know that when you stab somebody with that much, you know, the bear's hibernating in the winter. He's been just putting on fat this whole time. How did he... Anyway. Uh... But anyway, this weird thing happens where Silas goes, well, my canteen is empty. I'm going to go fill it up. You mind if I go fill up my canteen? That's all I'm doing is filling up my canteen. I'm going to go fill it up at a nearby river, just with river water for my canteen that is if it needs to be filled up. So that's weird. Then in the next scene, they're close to the exiles. They're finding the exiles. Gavin's like, we gotta, we gotta find another way in. We can't just walk up to these guys. And Silas goes, "You seem thirsty. Why don't you have some of the harmless water I put in my canteen at the nearby river we were by before when I went to get water for my canteen? It's harmless water from a river." And you know, to me, that kind of dialogue is just a dead giveaway that there's more going on there than meets the eye. But. 
Gavin's not paying attention. Takes a sip of Silas's canteen, which of course uh, is has rohypnol in it or something that knocks him out. And Silas leaves him there, and he's caught by the exiles. Now that's another mysterious thing, because Silas, the grandfather, this whole time has been like. I love you. I would do anything for you. I would always tell you the truth, except I promised your mother I wouldn't tell you what happened to your uh, parents. I'm I'm a very old man. This wig clearly indicates how old I am. I'm so old. Very, very old, 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 old. And, uh, and yet he drugs drugs Gavin and leaves him in the grass to be caught by the exiles. So that's how we sort of leave it is Gavin is caught by the exiles. His wife, who just almost told Levi she loved, I mean, she literally was like, I love, I love, I love. And then he, he just started sucking on her lips and kept her from saying it uh, when they were, when they were making out. But she's so happy to see Gavin and they hug and whatever. So we'll see what happens with them. Uh, Gavin wakes up from his drugged haze right before he gets caught and realizes that, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know how this worked. But somehow, as he was unconscious from the drugs, he still remembers that Silas put a map in his pocket. Silas was like, this will help you escape the exiles. It's a map of the caves, and he stuffs a uh, he stuffs him. It actually looked like a like a Harry Potter kind of map. Like I don't know if it's like a that thing where Harry Potter always knew where everybody was. Do you remember that map? No, just me. Okay. Anybody here from out of town? So, okay. So Gavin is now with Levi and his wife. With the eggs, I should know the wife's name by now. It's been 12 episodes and I still don't know. I want to call her Natalie because that's her real name and I like her as an actress, but I still don't know what her name is on the show. Uh, so, a lot going on. We don't know what the rocks are for. We don't know how these guys are going to get out. We want them to escape. We don't know where Silas is going or why he turned Gavin over to the exiles. I guess that was the only way to get these guys out was to go in and get them through the back of the tunnels as opposed to by force because, you know, before they tried to beat them by force and that didn't work out because that's how they got caught. Um, Scott, who we haven't seen all episode, the stoner dude, uh, shows up back at camp and he's like, Oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened. You're not going to believe what I saw. Because last time we saw him, he was going into the mysterious building. So, so many mysteries, so many questions. We're on episode two. I think there's probably eight or ten more episodes this season. So, I'm sure they're going to quickly move beyond. You know, they're going to be like, this is what these rocks are for. This is what happened to Gavin's parents. This is what happened between Veronica and Lily all that time ago. And that's why Veronica feels guilty and Lily feels like she owes Veronica. This is how uh, uh, this is how these guys are going to prevent the tsunami from happening because the sinkhole opens up out by uh, 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 whatever that island was. That uh, fuck, I can't even remember the name of the. I've been there. What's the name of that island? Anyway, uh, all those questions will probably get answered next next episode, and then we'll move on to new mysteries because that's what this show is all about: is keeping people involved. Where did the pocket knife come from? 
who took the skin from the grizzly bear and turned it into a, a bathrobe. You know, all of a sudden a bathrobe, a grizzly bathrobe shows up in, in camp. Who did this? Who made this thing? Who cured this skin? This fur? It's very comfortable, but I want to know who did it. Uh, Virgil, is Vir, does, does, Virgil said he was a chef. Is he really good at cooking? You know, lots of, lots of mysteries. Uh, okay. Now it's time for a segment on the show that we like to call Parting Shots. I will leave you guys with this. I have started listening to a new podcast, and I'm sure you maybe have seen it hyped, but it's Rachel Maddow from MSNBC, and the podcast is called Ultra. And I've listened to the first episode and half of the second episode, which is the only two episodes out so far. And it is it is fascinating. It's about uh, stuff that was going on in the 1940s uh, when, or in the late 1930s and in 1940 when there was a large contingent of America who felt that Hitler was right, that America needed to stay out of that war and... You know, that communism and Jews and anyway, it's just it's 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 fascinating. Um, It's fucking insane. They the second episode, which, again, I've only listened to half of. They started talking about Father Coughlin, who I've mentioned before on this show. I called him Father Coughlin. Apparently it was pronounced Coughlin because they played a couple of clips of announcers, you know, where they would be like. First, the choir of the Holy Name Church will sing how firm a foundation is our God, and then, shortly thereafter, Father Coughlin will address the nation. But he had this huge uh, radio show in the late 1930s, uh, and he seems like a bad guy. <laughs> he seems like... A really, really bad guy in the same way that a lot of the bad guys now are bad guys. Um, Although I don't know. I mean, I I literally don't know. Now, all these people like, you know, whoever, Trump or Steve Bannon, ad infinitum, all the people who are doing all that stuff. It's all about a grift. It's all about making money off poor saps who believe the bullshit they say. And maybe there certainly there was always an element of that with with somebody like like Coughlin, but I think he was more. It seems to me like he actually had an ideology that was fascistic and anti-Semitic, whereas now it seems like more of these guys kind of stumble into this out of convenience, and it doesn't matter. They just have no beliefs except that here's a way that I can make can make some some money. Uh, but anyway, check out Rachel Maddow's new podcast. I really, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know people have mixed feelings about Rachel Maddow. I think she's really smart. I don't think there's any way you can argue with that. Um, and they've clearly done a lot of research on this, and the story is is pretty incredible. And related to what's going on right now. So anyway, uh, Amber will be back next week. I hope, unless she 
decided to take the long way back from Sacramento uh, through Dubuque and Chattanooga and uh, Little Rock and hasn't made it back by next week. But I think she'll be here. Um, thanks so much for listening. Smash. smash. Whatever. Uh, we'll see you next time on The Long Shot. Thanks, everybody. Somewhere soon is going to pay If I wasn't so angry I'd turn on the tube And if I wasn't so stupid I'd listen to you And if I wasn't so lazy I'd probably get up off the couch So now I am going to have to worry about What is gonna happen Which I really wouldn't do If I figured you were Depression. And once I give you all my fingers, there will still be.